Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Thanks, James. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Excited for this morning. It's going to be a little bit, a little bit of a different message today. We're going to be providing some really practical handles on some challenges that I think we all face living in downtown Chicago. So get yourself ready. We're going to explore the Word of God. We're going to provide some practical challenges and some practical implications to the way we live life in downtown Chicago. But before we get there, if you can put the first picture up, Asaf, that'd be great. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you will know who this is. Yes, there you go. Okay, so that's not Maggie Smith. That's Violet Crawley. And the single, uh, I would say, the reason why anyone needs to watch Downton Abbey. If you don't know what Downton Abbey is, uh, go and Google it, go and find it, and go and watch reruns of it for this character alone. She is outstanding. She's the matriarch of the Crawley family. Um, and she's famous for lines like this. This is, uh, Violet to, this is her speaking to Cora, her daughter-in-law. She says, I'm so looking forward to seeing your mother again. When I'm with her, I'm reminded of the virtues of the English, to which Matthew says, but isn't she American? And Violet says, exactly. (laughs) She heard Matthew once over dinner uh, suggesting that he was about to plan a weekend of leisure activities, to which Violet answered, what is a weekend? Because she was far too aristocratic to realize the reality of a week that is divided between work activities and leisure activities. Uh, I say that to say, fast forward to the 21st century, come across the pond back to America and back home. And unfortunately, I think many of us today are asking that very same question, but for altogether different reasons. Here are some statistics that I think will uh, probably uh, enforce what I've just said. Uh, the average workday in America is just under nine hours, which is one hour, one full hour less than the nation ranked number two on the list. Approximately half of Americans work an average of 50 plus hours a week. And by the way, this is uh, after testimony was given before a Senate subcommittee in the 80s that predicted our work week would be less than 20 hours due to the advances of technology. And that uh, clearly hasn't worked out very well. 134 countries have laws that define the length of a work week and have policies that mandate annual leave and, annual, and, and uh, sick leave policies, except for one nation. You guessed who that is. It's ours. Americans, on average, get 10 vacation days a year, which is more than half of most developed countries. And in fact, a quarter of the American work, workforce say that they do not have paid vacation days or paid, or, or paid holidays. So don't rely on statistics to enforce the reality that we are a busy nation. I'm going to read 10 questions to you, and, just, and I'd like you to take a moment to think about it. If you want to discuss it with the person sitting next to you, you can, but just ponder the reality of these 10 questions. Some of them will apply to you, some of them won't. Maybe some of them will apply to all of you, but here we go. Think about these. Do you regularly work 30 minutes or more over and above your contracted hours? Do you regularly check work emails and voice mess- or, and or voice messages at home? How often are you asked, how are you, only for you to respond, I'm so busy or life is crazy at the moment? Has anyone said to you, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Do your family or friends complain about not getting enough time with you? 
Don't answer that one too loudly, Roberta. I can hear you. (laughs) If tomorrow suddenly became free, would you use it to catch up on work or assignments or chores? Or would you find some way to rest and relax? I'm hitting some points here. I think I am. Do you often exceed the do you often exceed the speed limit when you are driving? Okay, don't answer. Don't put your hand up. This is not a confession time. Just think about it. Do you constantly have to rush to make it on time for appointments, or do you often arrive late? Do you set aside time for a hobby that you are actively involved in? And lastly, do you eat together regularly as a family or with roommates or friends? Or do you often eat on the run or while working or studying? I think research currently, I've been doing a lot of research on busyness, and research at the moment shows that our culture, our current culture, actually celebrates busyness. And unfortunately, technology encourages busyness, and if if we were honest with ourselves, if we were to do a self-assessment, we would know, and we would, I think we would have to confess that we've owned busyness, and we've even excelled at it. And it's into that context that I want to ask this question at the very front end of the sermon. How are you actively seeking the presence of God and obeying His voice? How are you actively seeking the presence of God and obeying His voice? This is week five of our 10-week series on Church in the City's New Vision Framework. And those of you who've been here regularly over the past few weeks will know that we are kind of unpacking questions and, and around things like who we are and how we see the world and the world that we long to see. And we've explained, and I want to take a few moments just to remind us of the things that we've, that we've discussed so far. We've, we've explained that our vision framework is built on this foundation that we have called our belief. It's the, it's the work of God in our hearts and in our lives at Church in the City. And we've defined our belief as, as this, the power And presence of Jesus deeply transforms lives by gifting us with intimacy with the Father and freeing us from everything that holds us back and holds us down. I love that statement. I have been sitting with that statement with the eldership team, with the leadership team for the last kind of five or six months, and I have every day considered the implications of that. And I love the invitation to freedom, uh, uh, the intimacy with the Father, freeing us from everything that holds us back and holds us down. Because of my relationship with the Father through the person of Jesus Christ, appropriated by the Holy Spirit, freedom is a reality. Free from the power of sin. Free from the implications of sin. When Jesus returns, I will be freed from the presence of sin. I'm free from condemnation. I'm free from religion. I'm free from fear, from from shame and from guilt. I'm free from serving only myself. And because I'm in Jesus, I'm, I'm free to worship him. I'm free to love him. I'm free to trust him. I'm free to surrender to him. I'm free to serve him and I'm free to say yes to him. Our belief has given rise to what we have phrased our banner. This is the this is this is our ultimate aspiration. What we long to see, what, the, what we dream of seeing, and it forms and fashions the way we live our lives today. And our banner is simply this, all of Jesus for everyone. All of Jesus for everyone. All of Jesus speaks of the, of the fullness of Jesus, not just the part of Jesus that we are most comfortable with. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes, for in Christ, in Jesus, 
all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, the, the fullness of God is manifest in the person of Jesus. Is that how you know him? All of Jesus for everyone. Everyone starts in here with every one of us. But ultimately, all of Jesus for everyone is to be experienced by people from every tribe, every nation, from every walk of life, across every generation. But it starts with you and I bringing the all of Jesus to someone. And we've been challenging ourselves with the question, who is that someone for you? All of Jesus for everyone, our banner statement has to be activated, and it is activated by what we are introducing to you as five values. These are commitments or covenants that we are making with one another that define what we do with ourselves, define how we spend our time and use our resources. And two weeks ago, before Easter, we looked at the first of these five values, The first one, which is probably the one above all all the others, because it it communicates a a heart of surrender, a heart of yieldedness, a heart of, of trusting for God to fulfill His promises in us and through us. All of Jesus for everyone is made possible, and it requires all of us for Jesus. All of us for Jesus speaks of lordship. It speaks of a surrender to the reality that Jesus is Lord, and and the lordship of Jesus happens as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes in Galatians 5. All of us for Jesus is a statement of worship, a statement that Jesus alone is our source of joy and our confidence and our ultimate hope. So we rejoice in the Lord, and we glory in Jesus, and we look forward to, to, you know, we, 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 we look forward to God's preferred future. Where sickness is no more, where bodies are healed, where relationships are made whole, where there's peace in our streets, where justice and righteousness is the foundation of our society, as everyone says yes to all of Jesus. And so with that as the context of our vision framework, I want us to return back to our conversation around busyness, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Why are we so busy And what can we do about it? Why are we so busy and what can we do about it? And the thoughts that I'm going to share with you this morning are thoughts that that I've kind of formed and fashioned through listening to some sermons and some teaching on the subject, reading a great book by Kevin DeYoung called, uh, it's called Crazy Busy. And I, I want to suggest to you seven reasons for why we are so busy, and I'm going to provide a remedy for each. But before we do that, I want to just make a couple of introductory statements. Firstly, I want to say this. There is a difference between constant busyness and busy seasons. Seasons, by definition, have a distinct end. Although, if you considered the weather for the last week, I would imagine that's actually an argument for, for the contrary. But essentially, seasons have a very clear, distinct end. And the reality is most of us say, well, this is just a season of busyness, but if we're not careful, that season of busyness can very quickly become an everyday way of life. The other thing I want to say is there's also a difference between busyness and hard work. Hard work, working diligently, working faithfully, working wholeheartedly comes with the Lord's blessing. And it's something that should be a characteristic of the way we live. But busyness, on the other hand, robs us of our joy. It drowns out the word of God. 
And if we're not careful, it covers over the true condition of our heart. So there's a distinct difference between busyness and hard work. And maybe the last thing I'll say before we get into the seven reasons for busyness is a personal confession. And I want to say I'm probably guilty of all seven reasons that I'm going to suggest to you. And I'm in absolute need of every single remedy. I don't do nothing well. I honestly don't do nothing well. My mind is constantly churning. Believe it or not, I I actually clean and organize in order to relax. I can't remember the last time I sat in front of a TV at home and didn't have a, a second device on my lap answering emails because when I see unanswered emails in my inbox or those little numbers, those little push notifications... Those are people and, and, and institutions screaming at me for my attention, and I have to quieten them down by answering them. That's just the way I think. So, so I am in desperate need of, of these remedies. This is not, listen to me, I've got, this, I've got this one. This is a sermon that is part confession and part invitation for you to join me to discover actually what is the one thing we need above all of these seven reasons for busyness. So... Here are my seven reasons for why we are so busy. Broad brush strokes, we don't have time to mine deeply into each of these. Each of these would probably require a Sunday on their own, but, but allow the Holy Spirit to, to prompt you, to challenge you, to maybe go away and to, and to reflect on some of these realities as they apply specifically to your life. Why are we so busy? Number one, because of ignorance. Because of ignorance. We don't realize or we, or we won't admit that we have a problem. And the problem is we simply don't live with margin in our lives. We have a certain capacity and we are creatures that insist on filling that capacity to 100%. And because we are not God, unexpected things happen and take that already busy life over the edge. We have X hours in the day, and we assume that every single one of those those X hours needs to be filled with something. The best way to not hurry on the inside is to recalibrate the outside. And so the first remedy that I want to suggest, the first remedy to the issue of ignorance is we need greater self-awareness. We need an honest assessment of our capacity and the discipline to work margin into our lives. One thing that I'm personally trying to do, and I haven't got this down yet, but I'm trying my hardest, is to arrive for appointments 15 to 20 minutes early. And I'm taking a book with me. And it forces me to have 15 or 20 minutes of downtime, of me time, where I'm able to read and reflect without the hurriedness and and busyness of rushing to and from appointments. Just a little example. Reason number two for why we are so busy because of pride, because of pride. Perhaps our reason for busyness is because we are people pleasers. Perhaps our reason for busyness is wanting others' praise. Have you ever had someone say of you, oh, I just, I just don't know how you do that. You amaze me. And then, maybe this is a little too honest, but that's one of my particular challenges. I don't know how you do that, to which I generally kind of will think. I won't necessarily say it. I'll think to myself, you know, I don't know how to do it either. <laughs> I, I constantly amaze myself at how I'm able to do this. Pride is a dangerous thing. It really is. Sometimes the reason for our busyness is, sorry if that was a little too honest for some of you who don't know me, but that's just the way I am. 
perhaps the reason for our busyness is we think that we are irreplaceable. Could I suggest, and I've been thinking about this, I, I would suggest in my life there are four areas where I currently am not irreplaceable. No one can take responsibility for my walk with God. No one can husband my wife, no one can father my children, and no one can be a friend to the friends that God has given me. And quite honestly, outside of that, I am irreplaceable. We need to remember that we are not irreplaceable. Perhaps we're busy because we're constantly trying to prove ourselves, prove ourselves to ourselves or to others or to God. Perhaps it's because of perfectionism, this need for everything to be perfect. And so we strive and drive ourselves and we are busy trying to achieve the impossible. Whatever the reason, I would suggest that sometimes it is because of pride. And so the remedy against the reason of pride, I would suggest, is this. Ask yourself the question, am I doing this? Am I saying yes to this opportunity because I'm trying to look good or because I'm trying to do good? Am I trying to look good or am I trying to do good? We, we need to serve others, not serve our pride. Reason number three for why we are so busy, because of obligation, because of obligation. We, we serve an amazing God who is powerfully at work, and, and we read the Bible, and we see the incredible needs out in the world, and, and, and they're, they're good needs, they're, they're righteous needs, they are even kingdom-minded needs. Things like serving the poor and feeding the hungry, welcoming refugees, visiting prisoners, praying for the sick, comforting the dying, distributing Bibles fighting sex trafficking, opposing abortion, fostering abandoned children, building schools and hospitals, fixing marriages, coordinating disaster relief, and traveling to the nations, to just name a few. But the problem is, we take every single, we contend to take every single one of those and think that it's our responsibility to fix every single one of them. These are opportunities, not obligations. Matthew 22, Jesus makes it very clear what our obligation is. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, or could I suggest, this is the first and greatest obligation. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else over and above that is an opportunity. I would suggest John the Baptist nailed it when he said in John chapter 1, I am not the Christ. I am not the Savior. I am not the Messiah. The responsibility, the obligation to save the world is not mine. And can I suggest that some of us, including myself, needs to apply that into our own lives. It is God's obligation to save the world, and he invites us through various opportunities to join us and to partner with him. So serving the poor and feeding the hungry and welcoming refugees and visiting prisoners and praying for the sick and comforting the di- the, 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 those who are dying and, and so on are all things that I should care deeply about, and those are all things that we want to see working through this church, but they are not all things that I have to do. They are opportunities and invitations for me to get involved. So the remedy is this. Ask yourself the question, have I turned opportunity into obligation? And what opportunities has God specifically called me to in order to advance his kingdom? Reason number four for why we are so busy. Because of confusion. Because of confusion. In our household, when something happens in the middle of the night... 
Uh, there is a very distinct difference to the way that I respond as to the way Deb's responds. Especially when there is potentially blood or, or vomit that is involved with kids when they were younger. Uh, the two of us respond to these situations distinctly differently. I generally get up and I start to panic. That's my kind of first, uh, first response. And then I end up finding myself doing very arbitrary things, looking very busy, but actually achieving nothing towards the purpose of what needs to be done. So for example, I'll get up and I'll, I'll begin to kind of panic and look around and, and I'll see a glass that is out of place in our bedroom and I'll pick it up and rush it off to the kitchen. And when I get to the kitchen, I notice the dining room table cloth is slightly off of, off of center and so I'll rearrange that. I'm busying myself but I'm doing absolutely nothing. Deb's, on the other hand, is completely calm. She assesses the situation. She knows what needs to get done. And in a very methodical and clinical manner, she attacks the problem. And in 10 minutes, the situation is resolved. And I think sometimes that's how we approach situations in life because we are confused as to what our priorities are. Some of us are incredibly busy but if we're honest, we're not achieving very much because we don't know what we're called to and therefore we don't know what we're not called to. And that is so important. One of the great blessings of this series that we are doing right now as a, as a church is we are discovering who we are and by virtue, who we aren't. And that's brought such a settledness to us. Jesus modeled clarity so beautifully in Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It's just to say, don't be condemned if you don't get up early in the morning. In biblical times, they went to bed when the sun went down. So a different story to where we are right now, uh, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went looking for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to a nearby village, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus knew that while he was here on earth, he would not be able to meet every single physical need. He knew that his greatest priority was getting away and spending time with his father. He was called to abide with God. And as he was abiding with God, he was able to discern and sense and see where God was at work. His priority was to abide with God so that he could move with God, so that he could respond to wherever God was calling him to go, to release the kingdom through preaching and through signs, wonders, and miracles. So what is the remedy to this? Do you know what you are called to and therefore what you aren't called to? Do you know what you are called to and therefore what you aren't called to? Reason number five. I know this is lots of information. I know we're chugging along through this, which is kind of ironic that we're doing a sermon on busyness and we're having to power through. I get the irony of that. I understand. But let's, uh, let's stay focused. Reason number five for why we are so busy. Because of fear. Because of fear. I've spoken often from this pulpit on the, on the dangers of good things becoming ultimate things. When good things become ultimate things, they will ultimately destroy us. Because good things becoming ultimate things are harsh taskmasters. They drive us. They demand things of us. Things that are good, like, like 
like education and relationships and family and financial security and, and, and things like that. Good things becoming ultimate things are dangerous because when, when, when they become ultimate things, enough is never enough. I live with fear when good things become ultimate things. Fear that I will never make it, whatever it is. And when I have it, fear that I will eventually lose it. When Jesus died on the cross, he said these words, it is finished. He said, enough is enough. No more striving, no more earning the Father's favor through religion and self-effort, resting in the person and presence of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who knows how to live in the center of our lives without ever destroying us. So the remedy I would suggest is a beautiful verse that I I found so challenging in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul writes, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It's a beautiful verse, a wonderful combination of incredible freedom and responsibility. Notice that that verse says that, that every good thing we have, every good thing we have has been given to us. We haven't earned it. We haven't worked for it. It's been given to us as a trust from the Father. But because it's been given to us, there is a responsibility, hence the word must. We must do something with it. We think God's requirement of us is success. That verse does not say uh, uh, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove successful. It says those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithfulness is the goal, not success. Faithfulness is the goal. Reason number six for why we are so busy. We are so busy because of distraction. And can I suggest distraction primarily brought about by the advances in technology. Matthew chapter 10, I know this verse doesn't speak of technology, but there is a a verse in Matthew chapter 10 that I think we can apply to this particular point. We need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. We need to be wise to the benefits of technology. And we need to be innocent as it pertains to the sin that technology can lead us into. The sin of idolatry, the sin of distraction, and those kinds of things. Can you go an afternoon, or a day, or a week, without texting or without social media? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, he says, But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. In other words, get away from the distractions. The problem is, and I do this too, I take this into my time with the Lord, and I haven't turned off the push notifications, and an early text arrives, or an email comes through, and very quickly I find myself getting distracted as the world begins to demand more of me than I should be giving to the Father. A funny little story about that, last uh, December, uh, Bex was back in Boston uh, a couple weeks before Christmas, and she had forgotten the time change, the time difference between Boston and Chicago. Here I was, literally on a Sunday, standing before you as I am now preaching, and suddenly my text starts blowing up, and it starts coming up on my iPad as I'm preaching, and it's pictures of Rebecca wearing a scarf, asking questions like, Dad, do you like this scarf? Maybe I should ask Hannah to to buy this scarf for me for Christmas. It's the dangers of technology. They can grab our attention before we realize it. Blaise Pascal, who was a 17th century mathematician and, and, and a follower of Jesus, said this, 
All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, perhaps that's a little overstated, I understand, but isn't that incredibly prophetic in the light of how dangerous technology can be? Technology has the potential to undermine our identity. How many of you and I spend time on social media, particularly when we're not feeling happy about ourselves, and we see these incredibly happy people who are enjoying amazing lives that we aren't living? Technology has the potential to interrupt our rhythms. We end up playing when we should be working and working when we should be playing. Technology has the potential to, to, make the, to promise the impossible. Friends, can I, ask, can I ask you to settle something? It is impossible to have thousands of meaningful relationships. It is impossible to know everything about the world that is going on. It is impossible to be there and here at the same time. And so the remedy to this is we need periodic rest from technology. We need to disconnect and we need to choose absence and ignorance at times. Reason number seven, the last reason. Reason number seven for why we are so busy, because of comparison. Because of comparison. As hard as we try to be self-aware and to do what is good and to make the most of every opportunity and to know our priorities and to be faithful with what we've been entrusted to and, and not to be distracted from what is most important, there is always someone who does all of that and they do it a whole lot better and they've got a smile on their face and it looks like they've been sleeping for 10 hours and their kids are perfectly well behaved. And we spend our entire lives either exhausted because we're trying to emulate them, or living riddled with guilt because we're not matching up to what we think is their standard. And the best advice I ever heard about this particular truth is this. Stop comparing yourself to freaks. Stop comparing yourself to freaks. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but we all have freaks in our lives. They're our closest friends. They're our, they're our favorite members of the family. They just do things at a far greater capacity than you and I are able. And we compare ourselves to them all the time. One of my best, one of my closest friends is a guy by the name of David Swart. Many of you know him who was an elder at this church, and him and his wife planted a church down in 614. And he knows what I'm about to say because we've had to work through this. Dave went off four years ago and planted a church. He has uh, four kids. He has two cats and a dog. Right there, I'm exhausted. Before anything else, that exhausts me. On top of that, he's a, he, he's a, a corporate executive in a big bank, and he leads a church not too dissimilar in size to church in the city. And literally for two years, the first two years of Dave leading 614, I felt guilty for the fact that I didn't work a secular job on top of leading church in the city. I was riddled with guilt. I felt I, have to, I, felt I constantly had to justify the fact that I was in full-time ministry. And the reality was I was comparing myself not to how God had made me, but to how God had made Dave. And that's not what I was called to do. The Christian life is about hard work, not about busyness. It calls for loving lots and standing firm and enduring hardship and opposing the devil and sin. It calls for advancing the kingdom and praying without ceasing and sharing the gospel and honoring others above yourselves and serving sacrificially and so much more. But we need to do it in the context and the capacity of how God has created each of us. 
We need to find confidence and freedom in what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and I'm not about to let God's grace go to waste. Although I worked hard, it was God giving me the work to do and the energy to do it. It was God's grace at work within me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I've given you seven reasons for why we are busy. Ignorance, pride, obligation, confusion, fear, distraction, comparison. And again, I want to ask you the question, how are you actively seeking the presence of God and obeying his voice? Seven reasons for busyness. One thing we must do, according to Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she, called, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. David writes something very similar in Psalm 27. He says, one thing, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell, not visit, not pop in for tea, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This is not an argument for doing nothing. This is a reminder of what comes first. This is a reminder of the one thing that we must do above all else. The the key word in that Luke 10 passage is the word for me, distracted, which is found in verse 40. Martha gave her best to cleaning the house. As some of us do, give our best to answering emails and spending a few extra hours at the office or whatever. And therefore, we can only give what's second best to Jesus. I love what is found before this particular uh, section of Luke chapter 10. Before this, if if you just turn back a a, a few verses, you'll notice Jesus sends out the disciples to to advance the kingdom of God. He tells them, go and preach the word, go and heal the sick, go and raise the dead, go and drive out demons, and they do that. And then the very next passage is the the parable of the Good Samaritan, the importance of us uh, uh, showing mercy and, and, and doing justice, all of which are important. But can I suggest, friends, that if we are advancing the kingdom of God through preaching signs, wonders, and miracles, and doing ministry, and showing justice, and showing mercy, but we are doing that at the expense of spending time with Jesus, we are not doing the one thing we are called to. There is one thing more important than ministry, and that is being ministered to by Jesus. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Crazy Busy, says this. We won't say no to more busyness until we can say yes to more Jesus. We will keep choosing dinner rolls over the bread of life. We will keep choosing the fanfare of the world over the feet of Jesus. We will choose busyness over blessing. It's not wrong to be tired. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to go through seasons of complete chaos. But what is wrong 
and, whole, and, and heartbreakingly foolish is to live a life with more busyness than we want because we have less of Jesus than we need. So I want to bring this into land by suggesting to you, by bringing to you the, the second of our five values that goes alongside all of us for Jesus. In order for us to see all of Jesus for everyone become a reality, this is the second of our values, and it's this. We abide in God. We move with God. We abide in God. We move with God. This implies active, expectant, intentional waiting, as well as courageous and faithful responding. It describes a dance. Sometimes it's a waltz. It's, it's, it's a smooth and deliberate. Sometimes it's like swing dancing. It's, it's, it's energetic and frenetic, but it's always intimate, and it's always well and clearly led by the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Eleven times in John chapter 15, the challenge to us from Jesus is, abide in me. Abide in me. And he gives us two very distinct ways we do that. We abide in Jesus by firstly abiding in his word. Colossians 3, let the word of God dwell in you richly. We love to quote John chapter 8. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We love that verse. We all quote it. It's on our fridge. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we forget what comes before. It says this. Hold on to my teaching. Abide in my word. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We abide in Jesus by abiding in his word. We abide in Jesus by abiding in his love. The Bible says God's love knows no degrees. Friends, you need to know this. God doesn't love you more in a season of peace and rest and serenity than in a season of busyness to the point of being overwhelmed that you don't know what to do. You need to know God's love knows no degrees. No matter the season, he wants us to know his love. I've used this illustration often before with Debs, but there are times when I'll, I'll take Debs by the face and I'll say, babe, I love you. And, and she doesn't say, she doesn't always say thanks or I love you too. She goes, tell me again. And I'll say, I love you, babe. And she goes, tell me again. And I'll say, I love you, babe. And she goes, oh, tell me again. And sometimes, friends, that's what we need to do with God. We need to allow God to take us by the face and to say, my boy, my girl, I love you. And then we say, oh, Father, tell me again. Oh, I, I love you. I love you. Oh, tell me again. We need to settle the reality that we are to abide in God's word and abide in God's love. Because when we abide in the word, we know that God is faithful. And we, when we abide in God's love, we know that his love is endless, as Psalm 35 says. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is, is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. Friends, the challenge I put before us, with all the excitement that is about to happen in the city with spring and soon to be coming, hopefully, spring and then summer coming, and, and we know the distractions of the city over this time. All the exciting things that God is doing at Church of the City at the moment, through, as we are unpacking our, our vision framework. All of the busyness at work and in our lives. Can I implore us and encourage us, let's not get distracted by good things. But let's prioritize, let's guard the one thing that we need above all else. And that is intimacy with Jesus. 
I challenge us. Let's devote ourselves to time in God's word, time in God's presence, time in prayer, and time worshiping God. Let's abide with God so that we can move with God. I'm not, prescript, I'm not prescribing a time requirement. I'm not doing that at all. I will say this. A few moments is better than distracted hours. A few moments of clarity is far better than distracted hours. A constant pattern is far better than sporadic fits and starts. Doing this together is just as important as doing this alone. This is not an invitation for us all to go alone and to abide with God so that we can move with God. The reason why we we, we place such emphasis on us gathering on a Sunday morning and gathering in connect groups and coming together to pray is not for our benefit. It's so that we can abide with God together, so that we can move with God together. Can I ask the worship team to come up? We abide in God We move with God. How are you actively seeking the presence of God and obeying his voice? How are you actively seeking the presence of God and obeying his voice? I'd hoped this morning to to end a little sooner, but you know what? I'm going to just ask if you can give us between seven and ten more minutes. And again, I, I understand the irony of having just preached the sermon that I have and then asking us not to rush off to the next thing. But I think it would be amiss if we didn't take a moment just to do simply what I'm imploring us to do, and that is to abide for a few moments in the presence of God. We're not going to call the ministry team up yet. We're not going to call for a specific response yet. I'm simply going to ask the worship team to sing and to minister over us, and for us literally to take four to five minutes of sitting in silence and enjoying the presence of God, allowing Him to speak to you, allowing Him to, 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 to wash over you with His presence, with His grace and with His goodness. Before we do that, if, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, could I challenge you, could I, could I, could I suggest that we will never know rest, we will never know a life free from anxiety and from angst and from striving until we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, until He gets to take that place of being first and ultimate in our lives. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not inviting you to, to, to do anything other than to simply respond to the invitation that Jesus is giving for Him to find a place, the place in your heart as Lord and Savior. If that's you today, I would love to pray with you. Can we just close our eyes for a moment as the worship team begins to play? Just close our eyes for a moment. If that's you, if you're saying, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross that paid for my sins. Thank you, Jesus for your resurrection that purchased eternal life. This morning, Lord, I realize the reality of that. I don't fully understand it, Lord, but I know that you are calling me to surrender to you. So Father, I invite, I ask Jesus to come into my heart. Jesus, receive you as my Lord and Savior.
Father, if anyone prayed that prayer this morning, I ask and pray that you would seal that reality of them now being a child of yours. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the good news of the gospel, Father. The reality for the reality of freedom that is found in you. A life transformed because of what you've done. Let's enjoy a couple of minutes as the worship team minister over us. Just to abide in the presence of the Lord. Don't worry about Sunday lunch. Don't worry about your next appointment. Let's take four or five minutes just to enjoy God's presence this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.